Welcome to another episode of Stories from the Atlantic. Today we're going to have a haircut, which entails me losing most of my hair, the word lose, perhaps misused, as this is voluntary, and to lose your hair, as opposed to losing weight, has a negative connotation to it. And then, after talking to people in the streets, and after the haircut, we are going to talk about birds, some of which shed their feathers, giving me a very thin and far-fetched link between subjects, not that we need one. So, without further ado, let's start with a cup of coffee, over which I asked the bartender at Kex whether he had ever had a bus cut, a mere stubble of hair, and if people around him commonly have this hairstyle. He'd never considered having a bus cut, a hairstyle that in some ways lacks characteristics, being a monotonous singular feature of hair that is the same length all over. His friends, on the other hand, all seem to either have a bus cut or having had one in the last years. But he says the style is fairly popular among young men, especially in the hip-hop and punk scene of Iceland. When it comes to key figures on the scene sporting such a style, a few names popped up. We discussed the general outlines of the bus cut, which in Icelandic is krunrakstur, or crown shave, Mostly popular among, like we said, the young in the small punk scene and the huge hip-hop scene. A musical genre that's found its way from the inner cities of the United States to every corner of the world, across oceans, socioeconomics and skin color, perhaps with a common link through the hairstyle. But you won't see many politicians, business people or dignitaries with a buzz cut. Though Barack Obama's quo vadis, or close-cut look, became the most powerful haircut in the free world for eight years. And haircuts are political as much as they are cultural. Hair represents strength in the biblical story of Samson and Delilah, but also weakness as his seven braids were the source of his extraordinary power. After three failed attempts by Delilah, who had been bribed by the Philistines, to guess where his strength came from, he tells her the truth, after which she cuts off his hair and the Philistines take him prisoner. We could, of course, fill this show with the mythology of hair, from the Native American ceremonies of sorrow to the Buddhist monks of Tibet and the culture politics of hair and race, the most well-known being the Afro, a symbol in the black rights movement in the 1960s and 70s, synonymous with the Black Panthers and appearing widely in popular culture, including Michael Jackson, Erika Badu and Jimi Hendrix sporting such a look. Dreadlocked Rastafarians, clean-shaven Buddhist monks, locks of hair of the Hare Krishna, curly locks of Orthodox Jews, long-haired Native Americans, but also the forced symbolism, most well-known from the Holocaust, where concentration camp prisoners had their hair cut off, resembling the bus cut. Also, there is the religious aspect of hiding women's hair, manifesting in some forms of Islam, Christianity and Judaism, for example. And then the political aspect of hair, or lack of it, well-known in Europe in the 1990s with the rise of neo-Nazis, with shaved heads or extremely short buzz cuts, a symbol of hatred against immigrants, people of color, outsiders, and whatever the ideology entailed, made the style infamous. But symbols can fade, blend or reappear with misunderstanding, cultural appropriation, redefinition, or lack of historical context, 
like the magazine Esquire, pointed out with a still popular high and tight worn by such fashion icons as David Beckham in 2016. The stylish look in the 21st century, worn by straights and gays, liberal-leaning hipsters, actually traced its roots to Nazi Germany, clear in the Nazi propaganda and Hitler's youth, with an underlying arrogance of the idea of the Ubermensch. There's no escaping history, nor hair's role in it, but I do not make any claims to give a full representation of that relationship. I admit that in the winter months of 2018 I was not considering every angle of the haircut I was planning. Simplistically, I was just needing a change in myself, perhaps as much mentally as anything else, and a haircut felt like the right way to go. The bus cut represented certain years of my youth, from the moment me and my father cut off our hair on a family holiday to Portugal with electric cutters over the sink, probably moments before sunburning on our heads. That memory is without any ideology, and as far away from any far-right-wing ideals as possible, but rather one of bonding, comfort and youthful rebellion, my father being only 35 years old at the time. The bus cut lasted on and off until perhaps my early 20s, but I'd also had long hair as I soaked up the 60s, listening to LPs in my room, including Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, The Cream, Jethro Tull and others, as my hair grew. Now nearing 40, I was going back to the roots of my youth, about to cut my own hair and experience, or so I hoped, a change. Before that, I'd visit my barber every few months and get a haircut that blended Michael Douglas with a 1930s German engineer, admittedly not far from the high and tight, though without the ideology of its creators. My barber, Torve Germansson, a soft-spoken, hard-working, well-read man, fluent in conversation, who stuck by his ideals of serving the common man with affordable haircuts, had passed away in May of 2017. But when it came to the idea of me giving myself a bus cut, the bartender honestly wondered if I could pull it off. He just wasn't sure and pointed out the fact that I had a small head, but also that there was only one way to find out. With a seed of uncertainty in me, I took to the streets and asked people about their perception of the shortest hairstyle there is. But before, there's a need for a disclaimer notice. Conceptualizing is important, which I failed to do, by using the term shaved head. So my conversation with two young Russian men who schooled me in blockchains, cryptocurrency, and how to get rich swerved a bit away from my plans of a bus cut, but we're in the ballpark and the insights are still valuable. We began with the most common type of person who shaves their head, being Moscow hipsters. Well, people usually do have a beard well, when they shave their heads. Yeah, so they leave some kind of hair on their heads that way. And the other, the other people, are there any other groups that, aside from the hipsters that have shaved? Yes, for sure. <laughs> All the time, from the 90s in Russia, we have a group of Nazis uh, who shave their heads because, well, it is their style not to do the skin, so. The skin heads. Yeah, yes, skin heads, of course. Uh, not many of them left, but there are. So those that are left, are they, are they older, of the, uh, an older generation, or is there a new, new group coming up? Like, they're in their 30s, I think, most of the group. Yes, yes. and uh, usually those who adore football, football fans. Yes, they usually also uh, shave their heads. So, 
But would they be football hooligans? Yes, or? they are. Yes. Not I, all of them, but, but, most, but of the, them. The, most of them, yes, they do. But it turns out that the hipster is actually taking a certain risk with such a short haircut. There is still uh, a, a hipster that uh, can be well taken uh, as uh, a skinhead uh, who might be beaten by those who come from Caucasus, <laughs> who don't like Nazis because they are not Russian. And that's the point, yes. So they can be All this talk of other people and groups begged the question whether they themselves had either shaved their head or cut it very short. Uh, yes, I had a shaved head because uh, I've had my, how do we call it, uh, military classes uh, at university. Same here. Yeah. I also had a, an almost shaved hair. And is because that because uh, it's a mandatory thing for it's the military? It's not a mandatory thing, but if you want to pass military, uh, we, we're, we're, like, we're officers because we passed a military classes in our universities. We are translators for, for army. If something army. happens, if war happens, we, are we translators have to go like, for and work like translators. From which language? Uh, no, Russian English. Russian English, yes. So just your experience of it, how did you feel with a shaved head as opposed to not? Cool, then light, you know? Light, light. yes, the, the head seems lighter. If you have a lot of hair, it can wait up to 1.5 kilos. Yes, so my hair is like 400 grams right now, I think. His hair is like a little bit, little less, but you'll feel lighter, less light, more lighter than right now. And I'm assuming also mentally lighter, like your mind, well, you, you kind of feel... Actually, uh, comparing myself to those uh, uh, football fans, I uh, felt myself a little more dumb without hair. Dumb? Yeah, dumb. Why? Because you felt like, like you looked like them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, less sexy, of course. <laughs> less. Hair is sexy, that's it. Everywhere. <laughs> Some women think that boldness is sexy. We parted ways with a reassurance in the end. Nobody cares about what you wear in the new economy. Whatever the new economy allows for in personal appearance, Lila, from a small town in England, thought of only one reason for dropping your hair. Um, that it's mainly because their hair's receding, so it's an easy option for them. Less embarrassing, I guess. That's what I've I've been told by other people that have been in that position. But Nobody I pushed a bit to mind on that the subject just, of you know, fashion. Had long hair and that was shaved. a fashion thing when we were kids. Shave, yeah. This little thing right here. Yeah. Yeah. Did it come from a band? Or was there any like role model for it? Nope. I don't have a clue where it came from. I was like a child and I just can remember my guy friends having that. And in the, last the name of a classmate came up who as a kid had shown up to school with a near-shaved head, got expelled, but is credited with a hairstyle called the coconut. <laughs> it was horrible. So bad. Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> Not a bad legacy, I'd say, but her friends joined the conversation and made it very clear what a shaved head means. Going bald. Really enjoy Jason Statham films. Or oh, you're a skinhead. You know, you're into the uh, mod scene, two-tone, scar. That kind of thing. So nothing else? Prince uh, William just shaved his head. Yeah, he's going bald though, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did it for That's charity, it. didn't he? Oh, yeah, charity. Yeah, yeah. I probably bicked it, but that was for a dare. How did you feel? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Very cold. Well, yeah, because obviously I did it in summer, so my face was brown and my head was really white. <laughs> so people used to like open doors for me and be like, obviously Aww. assuming the worst. Oh, which is, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Obviously it looks my brothers bit. shaved their heads and they look like thugs. <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, this is so bad.
Going bald, a lover of Jason Statham films like The Fast and the Furious, or you're a skinhead. The reminder of my own plan to cut my own hair came from the obvious question. What, are you going to shave your head? For any reason? It's a social experiment. Do you like Jason Statham films? Who's <laughs> <laughs> Jason Statham? <laughs> These conversations on a cold January afternoon had brought up the thermal insulation of hair, its connotations to nationalism, racism, and recently hipsterism, along with the question of why I would cut my hair in the first place. The answer was not political nor ideological, just a personal need for change to shed and reinvent. On my way home, I asked Kimmy from England, who, while walking in a bit of a rush, told me about her experience of shaving her head. I think because women particularly are so precious about their hair, um, and it's sort of like so much of your attractiveness is attached to your hair. So it was when I was younger, um, I kind of wanted to get away from that. Um, but my biggest problem when I shaved my head was one time I did it in the winter and I wasn't quite prepared for like how cold my head would get because like I didn't realize how much warmth came from your hair. That there's a biological like yeah. evolutionary. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of important. And then the other thing was I did it in the summer and I kind of forgot that then my head would burn. So yeah, so I, I kind of, those were the sorts of things I didn't think about when shaving my head. But. Uh, and making that statement, did you get reactions like people? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was like uh, I was a lot younger then and kind of different times. And I think it was it makes quite a statement. Um, but uh, I mean, mostly the sort of crowds I hung in because uh, I'm an artist. It was kind of OK. And um, like also I'm gay. So on the scene, it was fine. Um, but I think it's kind of different for men and women. I think it kind of says a different thing about who you are as a person and I guess there's a lot of I mean I'm British so like back home skinheads were usually it was like associated with like nationalism and racism um, but I don't think so much now like I think it's changed. When I was 16 I held electric hair cutters above the head of my friend Tinna and proceeded to cut nearly all of her black hair no longer hanging over her shoulders but falling onto the garage floor. I think she was the first girl in our school who had that kind of haircut, coinciding with the popularity of Skanka Nancy, whose female singer had no hair. Demi Morris and Ido Connor, Kate Blancett, Amber Rose, Lupita Nyong, Natalie Portman, Sigourney Weaver, and Grace Jones have all had a buzz cut or shaved head, seen as rebels, trendsetters, or critics of the beauty ideals of our times. It took me a few weeks before I cut my hair, on March 4th, 2018, while listening to Beyoncé's Lemonade on LP. Now I have a non-ideological buzz cut and a slightly changed perception of myself, feeling lighter and somewhat rebellious in a good way. And now, from hair to feathers, from humans to birds, as promised. We start a month or two before the arrival of the few million Arctic terns, who in early May end their journey in Iceland, having flown from South Africa or Antarctica. The small white bird, resembling a fighter jet, flies around 70,000 kilometers each year, or 43,000 miles, averaging around 2 million kilometers over its 30-year lifespan. 
out for a walk in the neighborhood, Esther Urania told me about her childhood in the village of Reif in Snæfellsnes, where the largest Arctic tern colony in Iceland can be found. Summer didn't arrive until the Arctic turned it, and she had fond memories of growing up, surrounded by tens of thousands of birds, who seemed to constantly scream in a high pitch. It saddened her that people don't slow down on the road leading through the colony, resulting in hundreds of dead Arctic turn chicks each summer. She said if the birds congregated in the air together over a certain spot, it was a sign that a fox or a mink was creeping in the grass. Her father, who claimed that tern droppings fertilized the barren landscape, began protecting the colony after what she said was an overtaking of eggs, but certain parts of Iceland have gathered wild eggs for food since the 9th century. With a fierce reputation for pecking human heads to blood, something I've experienced myself, I asked what was the downside of the Arctic tern. <laughs> Only that the laundry drying in the wind often got shat on and needed to be cleaned again. There is another bird which arrives in Iceland, but only for a few weeks, and has, for probably the last 10,000 years or so, landed in a handful of locations before making its way to nesting stations in northwestern Canada. On a cold February afternoon, Dennis and Ildiko drove down the road to the president's house, unaware of who lived there, nor that this is the main feeding ground for the Brent goose. I asked them about a common and cherished bird in their home country of Hungary. Every every village has at least one stork. I mean, at least one pair of storks. And are they and protected or respected, or how are yeah, they? Respect yeah, yeah. and and we have web cameras for the stork, and we can watch the storks in their um, nest. In their nest. Do you think you have webcams looking at stork yes. nests? Yes. Yes. We yes, are yes. kind of silly people. <laughs> <laughs> and you can you can hear about them in the news. Yes. If uh, if a stork uh, didn't uh, came back from Africa. The village uh, said, or yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know, because they lost their stork. I retreated to the warmth of the car and left the president's front yard, which in three months' time would be bustling with the feathery part-time inhabitants. In late April, I finally witnessed a sight that seemed more unique, having built up this anticipation in myself. A short distance from the president's house, I now sat in the car with binoculars and stared at the elegant black and white geese whose calls are softer and more harmonious than the grey lag goose, a common nesting bird in Iceland. I was mesmerized at the sight of hundreds of them walking around in large groups, occasionally scared off and flying in a large circle before landing again on the fields around. The Brent goose can count on safety and food under presidential protection but the responsibility of Icelanders towards migratory birds is immense, as it is an important link in the chain of biological diversity. 
There are accords, like the International Accord on Biological Diversity and the Ramsa Accord, which Iceland has signed up to, but draining of wetlands in the 20th century for farming and land loss from the hydroelectric dams are among the changes that influence migratory birds. Iceland is like a gas station for the Brent geese, who fill up their energy supplies before flying to the nesting sites in northwestern Canada, meaning that they and future generations are dependent on the conditions here. In the coming weeks, I watched, not with the birds watchers' dedication, but interest, the bird life around me. In certain places on the outskirts of the city, you can see ducks, seagulls, golden plowers, Eurasian oyster catchers, Arctic terns, Brent geese, snipe, wimbrels, and various other types of birds, with two things at the top of their mind, food and sex, the latter being the biggest attraction to bird lovers. Only thing lacking this spring was spring, as it snowed and rained with low temperatures well into May. Later in the summer, I'll make my way to various parts of the country with an eye and ear for the birds around, and I promise I'll record them and let you hear it. For now, I'll leave you with the sounds from an Arctic tern colony recorded in 2012, and with that, we end this episode of Stories from the Eden Atlantic. Next week, we will shoot a music video in the most post-apocalyptic location Iceland has to offer, and hear the story of the person behind the mask. <laughs>